Our next guest for this morning show is a woman who has been heavily involved in traditional Irish music throughout most of her life. She has worked on both TV and radio, where she currently presents the West Wind Traditional Irish Music Programme on Clare FM. So I'm delighted to be joined by Scarif native, Paula Carroll Scarif. Uh, Paula, you're very welcome to Scarif Bay Community Radio. Thanks, Dara. It's great to be here. No, thank you very much now for, for joining me this evening. Um, for I suppose our listeners would know you from uh, presenting the West Wind Programme on Clare FM. But before we get into that, I just want to talk about um, your your life in the early stages. Um, were you born into, talk to me about how you, your love for traditional music came about. Were you born into a family that was passionate about traditional Irish music? Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, neither of my parents played music or sang, but they were big into dancing. Uh, and they did a lot of ballroom dancing, not just uh, set dancing. In fact, not even a lot of set dancing. But they just loved to dance, generally. And so I grew up with all sorts of music in the house, like all all sorts of rubbishy music. <laughs> so country and Western. Oh, sorry, not that country and Western is rubbishy music, but there was a bit of everything. Yes, yes. You know, soundtracks from films and, and middle, a lot of middle of the road music. But I suppose I got into traditional music through singing. We all went to school in the National School here in Scarf, and Mrs. Giblin, Joan Giblin, was a fantastic teacher of music to kids and she got us all involved in singing and she taught me a lot of traditional Irish songs, even though traditional singing wasn't her speciality but we just did a lot of that at school and she was great at at passing that on and it was through her really I got into it and then kind of didn't do a whole lot after I left school and then I remember one time I was back home um, after because I was living away for a long time and I ended up going up to Fecal, bringing my mother up to the hairdressers, up to Geraldine Noonan in Fecal. And it was the weekend of the Fecal Festival. And I remember yes. wandering into Maloney's into the middle of this singing session and I was blown away by it. And I from there, I kind of took it up again and got really into singing and music. So I guess it was more as an adult in my late teens and and in my twenties, that I really got into it. Um, so, uh, you mentioned there that you you went to school in Scarif, and you went on to obviously further education, where you studied in college. Uh, bat- you languages in UCC. Talk to me about that. How did you yeah. enjoy languages? Loved it. Yeah. Loved them. Yeah. yeah, I did a bit. I actually did one year of enge- of electrical engineering as well, and yeah. then realised that was not my calling. And then I did an arts degree in languages. I did French and German for my degree, but I also did Spanish and Greek or oh, ancient Greek in yeah. the first year of the degree. So yeah, I was really into that. And I uh, still speak a bit of French and German, and I can try my hand at Spanish, and I can have a go very badly at Russian. And <laughs> but I suppose there is that aspect too. If, if if you can, you know, say one language, you're probably able to speak all sorts of languages. Well, you you'll give it a lash. Yeah, like exactly. It's, it's yeah. a bit like computer language as well. Once you kind of acquire. When, once you sort of know how to handle a laptop and handle different programs, mm. you the next one isn't so difficult and the next one after that isn't so difficult. And it works like that with languages too. Um, so you lived in France and Germany and South America for a few years. That I, must have been a memorable 
experience. All of them were memorable. Yeah. yeah, I did a year in Germany in Freiburg in the southwest of Germany when I was a student. And then I did about a year and a half in Paris after I qualified. I went over there to teach English in a secondary school. And straight after that, then I went off to Central America and I spent a few months in Nicaragua when it was in its revolutionary period and then Mexico and then back home after that. And I haven't done, I mean, I've gone on lots of holidays and all that, but I haven't done any big, oh no, I tell a lie. I spent a lot. Of, <laughs> I'm very old now, Dara, so I'm forgetting. Um, I, then I spent a good six or seven months in Central Asia as well. Um, in Very the different parts of the world. Very different, yeah. Totally different, yeah. yeah. And it had just opened up after the Soviet Union had fallen apart. It was in the mid-90s that yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah. And it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I suppose the question I wanted to ask you, uh, how did working with Claire Fim come about? Oh, yeah. Um, when I came back from South America, so I was very politically active, like... Um, and journalism was kind of something that was on my radar and I thought but you had sorry but you hadn't studied it in college no hadn't studied no. journalism but I thought okay. I thought that I might like to work as a journalist so I remember spending a year in Dublin um actually I did a HDIP in which it's now I think called the master's in education the qualification yes, to teach yes, yes. and I remember thinking when I had that done I really now know that I do not want to be a teacher <laughs> so what else will I do and I was interested in journalism and as part of kind of toying with the idea of would I do a master's and all that I applied to Claire FM just to work there to get work experience and that was around 1990. So you had no idea how anything worked there, you just put your foot in the door to see how you get on? Yeah, well I suppose I, I knew in the sense that I, you know, I was interested in politics and writing and journalism and I had a good sense of story. Yeah. So. What I didn't have was the technical yes, expertise, yes. you know. Yes. But uh, at the time, Clarifem was very new. It had only opened in 1989. Right. So right, they yeah. would they were very willing to take on people who wanted to work there for free to get the experience. So that's how I started. So what did you start out doing then in Clarifem? I was a researcher on the morning show, which at the time was presented by Cayman Jones, also from Scarif. And Cayman had left RTE to found a Claire FM and his sister Anne Jones was his producer. Ray Conway was a reporter and researcher and, and co-producer on the show. And I started to work with that team and it was the best crack. It, it, it kind of reminds me the time then reminded me of kind of the vibe that's in Scarif Community Bay now where everybody is very excited to be working in the radio and to be telling local stories. That was what was really astonishing. Yes. I got to go out and about in County Clare, meet all sorts of people, high up and low down in nooks and crannies and on main streets and, and interview probably some them. of them too, you knew most of them as well. I, oh well, whether I did or I didn't, I kind of got to know them. Yeah, I got, made yeah, it my yeah. business to, to get to know people and yeah. interview them. And I, I learned a huge amount about my county through working with Clare FM and about the people and the culture of the county through working at Clare FM. So at what stage then did you become the presenter of the West Wind? 
That's a good story, uh, or it's an interesting uh, story. Uh, it was in, oh God, our time. I suppose it was in the mid-90s sometime. So I had been working in current affairs and reporting and all that kind of thing. And I remember at the time there was a summer summer vacancy coming up on the morning show. And I pitched to present the morning show. And I remember the boss saying to me at the time, he said, you know, why don't I give you instead uh, the West Wind? Because that's we're looking for a presenter for that. It, it wasn't the West Wind at the time. It was called The Miscovered Mountain. Why don't you do that for the summer instead? And I said, no, 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 no. I want to do serious <laughs> politics, serious journalism. Yeah, Come yeah, on, don't, yeah. don't be doing any of this gender stuff on me now. But actually, they did give the morning uh, show to a male presenter and they did give me the traditional music show, which I didn't think I would want at the time because I did think it was kind of... Uh, a sop to me rather than giving me the morning show and then I started doing it and I fell completely in love with yeah. doing that show and then I realised no this is actually my calling I want to do cultural Am stuff Am I right in saying that music shows would be much easier to present than chat shows? It depends on your approach. You know, it's you can any show is easy to present badly. You yes, know, I know. Uh, yeah. But I think to present a music show well takes a huge amount. I mean, the morning shows, talk shows seem more complex because you have to find new topics, new people yes, and all that. And research and about them. Yeah, yeah, and there yeah. is a sense that with music, Asher, all you have to do is fire on a CD. Yes, that's well, what it gets pressure. Yeah. yeah. So if that is your approach to making a music show, then yeah, it's really <laughs> easy. <laughs> but, but that was never my approach to it because I think that your job as a music presenter is to bring people into the world of your feelings about music and your taste in music and why you choose what you choose and then of course you know and to bring them into that story and then of course we did a huge or used to do a huge amount of live music broadcasting and that is very complex mm. stuff mm. um way more complex than, than doing a talk show and that's really where I'm at home I love presenting yeah, live music shows and even and even the the, the kitchen sessions mm. that where you used to go to people's houses across Clare and invite mm. the whole uh, neighbours and friends yes. and community in that again that must have been great like oh it was just is probably one of the best things I've ever done in broadcasting it mm. was such crack and are you hoping to get him back again or oh it's like it's so you probably know this yourself Derek. like it's such a huge undertaking to get funding to yes. do stuff like that yes. you know because it's a big complex road show and you've got to do serious miking of music and you need to, and because we were doing them live from people's homes, mm -hmm. you've got to get, at the time it was ISDN lines and all of that. So yes. it took a big whack of money to do it. And how many, how long was this kitchen session going for? So we did three series of them. The first series was around 2007. The second one was 2009. And then there was a big hiatus until around 2017. We did a third series of them at that now, stage. As well as um, Claire FM, 
you worked on TV with Ear to the Ground, a programme that we're all very familiar with at this stage, I should hope. How how did you get that gig? Um, I decided, what was it? I think things were changing in Clare FM. I had done the traditional music thing. <laughs> there was a change of management and all that. And I just felt it was maybe time for me to go and spread my wings. And I, again, I thought Ear to the Ground... I I can't remember if I apply, if they were looking for someone and I got word of mouth or if it was a formal application. Like, I can't remember. I might have just pitched to them and say, look, I want to work on and I'm based in the west of Ireland and I do a lot. Oh, yeah, I had been doing a rural affairs and farming show as well on Clare FM. That was it. And I decided I'd Which like to... Which suited for you to the ground. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just pitched here to the ground and they liked the idea of someone from the West of Ireland yes, coming of on the team and yeah. bringing them West of Ireland stories. So I did one year on that show. Actually presenting in no, front of the camera, no? No, no, no. I was just researching and producing shows, okay. producing stories for okay. them. Um, and that was a real eye-opener because I hadn't worked in television before and television Very is different. Way more cumbersome yes. than radio, yes. you know. So much more to take into account when you're doing visuals yes. as well as um, audio. Much more complex. Um, so many more people on the team. And we used to have a thing like I was doing all these West of Ireland stories, supposedly, but a lot of the crew were from around Dublin. So they wouldn't they go off on a three day shoot, but they wouldn't want to be in the West of Ireland on the third day. They'd have to be back very near to Dublin so that they could come home yes. very easily yeah. on the Friday evening. So, so many things to think about that I hadn't ever thought well, about. Well, I'm just wondering, is it from from your own experience, um, the fact that you hadn't studied much journalism in college, or you, you know, is it possible to get into radio and media without having a qualification? It was then. I'm not sure that it's possible now because mm. you're talking 30 years ago <laughs> yeah. or the guts of you yeah, know, 25 change, years yeah. ago anyway. Yeah. And at the time that like up until then, anybody worth their salt working in journalism had come in and learnt on the job. And there was a certain disdain towards students of journalism because they could come out after the three years and they still wouldn't know anything until they had got a job and worked in the in whatever area they were interested in. But now, I mean, there's a million and one journalism and media courses. And, and it's, it's all gone very uh, competitive too, isn't it? Hugely. I'd say yeah. the market is oversupplied. Mm. Mm. Um, most jobs are paid very badly outside of RTE. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would say, yeah, that you'd, you'd need, I think you'd need uh, a journalism qualification, but that's only the beginning of the journey then. Yeah, so both for, so you've had experience about TV and radio. So which which do you prefer? Radio. Radio. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, you're still in radio it's now. It's a yeah. short answer, yeah. but I now the kind of uh, video technology has become much easier to yeah. use. You know, and everybody has a great video camera on their phone and all that. And in the course of my oral history work, I'm taking a bit more. I'm doing a bit more video. And when we were doing the um, the kitchen sessions, we were capturing it 
on video at photography and on social media as well at the same time. So I, I really appreciate the power of the visual a lot more now than I did then. So I'm interested in using video and cameras, but not on a very sophisticated TV production level, just for immediate capture. And before we move on to another topic, I don't know, can you answer this, but where do you see radio fact that you're in radio now where do you see radio in the future um so i i'm not a media analyst now anthony but i just know that the you know video didn't kill the radio star i, I think radio is going to stay i think the because we because i i we hear people that say oh the radio is not going to last because you know television and everything else is, They've is been becoming saying that for decades yeah. and decades yeah. and if anything it has got stronger and um, i mean we talk about radio but if we take in all the audio formats together like podcast is huge yes huge and that will show you the power of yeah. the solo human voice people absolutely love listening to stories like i gobble up podcasts you know i would listen to hours and hours and hours of podcasts a week and i consider that to be like radio, you yes, know, with the same, yes. like radio has become much more flexible and adaptable and consumable in different forms. Like you don't have to be sitting at home between nine and 11 to hear the morning show on any radio, uh, on any radio station. You can get it on podcast. You can consume it as you want. And I think that flexibility in the audio medium means it just will never be stamped out. Yeah. So, Queen of Anclore, what's that about? It is a countywide oral history collecting project. It was started about 13 years ago, am I right? Yeah, around 2009 by uh, Tomás McInmara, who's yes. very well known yes. in this part of the county. And the idea was that a collective of oral history collectors would come together interview older people in their communities. They call it going on cords, so it's like night visiting. Uh, record their stories and then keep their stories in an archive that would be publicly accessible. So I'm the current... And it is very important to learn about our past too and the stories that all our older generation have had. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and to know that the past is very contemporary as well it you is. know and the, it's precious yeah yeah it's yeah. precious and there's a lot to learn from it and there's great fun i mean there's great wisdom in when you sit down and listen to older people's stories but there's also a huge amount of interest a huge amount of knowledge and it can be great crack as well like yeah. there's great characters around so we gather those histories and then make them available. We've got a brand new website at the moment. We've got a podcast and we just try and share that material And for material those that back. want to access the website, what's the, the address? So it's clairmemories.ie. So Cuevnev and Clare in Irish are Clare Memories in English. So if you just look up clairmemories.ie, you will see, uh, you'll get our website. And we got some fantastic photographs taken by John Kelly, the Clare Champion photographer. So we did a day down in the bog in Coolray and John <laughs> photographed it. So Martin Mason from up the road is on it. Uh, Johnny Duggan from Fecal, John and Maura Dooley from Fecal, Kathleen McNamara, who's Michelle's mother, Michelle who works in um, Ger Hogan's computer shop. 
so there's great Al East Clare characters photographed and splashed all over our new <laughs> website. So listen, Paula, I'm afraid that's our that's our lot. Um, so thank you very much for taking the time to be on the programme with us. My pleasure, Dara. And can I wish you the very best of luck in what I'm sure will be oh. your <laughs> glittering media career. Thank you very much. Thanks, Paula. No bother.